reading tonight from the book of Acts, looking into the 10th chapter of Acts. And we have Acts 10, 1 through 8. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band, a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel coming, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, he was afraid, and he said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thy alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose name is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things, he sent them to Joppa. The book of Acts begins, as we know, where the Gospels end with Jesus giving instructions to his disciples just before he departed. We find that in Acts 1, 8 through 9, and it says simply this, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud and received out of their sight. And what follows that narrative is um, their obedience to that directive. And that is essentially what the book of Acts is, is the obedience of those disciples to the directive that Jesus gave. And up until chapter 10, the part that I read to you just a few moments ago, we have the record of them going into Judea and into Samaria. But it was the Lord's intent that this not be a regional message. It's a global one. And the part that's important, especially to us, is that it go into the uttermost part of the earth. And I think we're very glad that they obeyed because that now included all of us. We benefit by them obeying that directive and their faithfulness to it. So chapters 1 through 8 primarily chronicle Peter proclaiming the gospel. And then in chapter 9, the narrative is interrupted with the conversion of Saul, who became Paul. And he eventually carried this message to other nations other than the children of Israel, to the Jewish people. But there needed to be a transition point here from when it was a message for the Jewish people until it could go to the people that would take it to the uttermost part of the earth. And if it was going to be declared, it needed to be a point where it started with somebody other than Jewish people. And it was the Lord's design that it would go to um, other people. And of all people, it started with the Romans. 
somebody from within the Roman Empire. And not only a Roman, but a Roman soldier. Now, this is problematic to a degree, because after all, the um, Romans occupied the land in those days, and they were not loved by the Jewish people at all. So the Lord, in his grand design, and the way that he uh, orchestrated all of this, not only took the gospel from the Jewish people to spread it out to other people. He started with the people that they despised the most. And that was the Roman, or the Italians actually, from the, from the city of Rome. And so at the end of chapter 9, Peter is summoned to the city of Joppa from where he was staying in nearby Lydda. And it was for a reason. A beloved member of the Christian community there died. And they sent for Peter. Now, this this city of Joppa is a port city. It's on the coast. And like many, um, and they had many Greeks living there. And we find that the person that passed away was somebody by the name of Tabitha, who is also called Dorcas. So don't get that mixed up. When you read it, it's easy to kind of figure what's going on here, what's going on. Well, the Tabitha is an Aramaic name of this person. And because this city was on a port and there were so many Greek merchants coming through there, a lot of people um, dealt with the Greek culture quite heavily, and they called her also Dorcas. It was a Greek um, variant of her name. And uh, they sent for Peter. The saints there that loved Dorcas and were grieved at her passing sent for Peter. And they said for Peter to come, and evidently because Peter must have known who this person was, near and dear to his heart, and they must have felt that Peter needed to know. So they sent for him to come uh, to pay his respects, we would assume. But it was going to be more than just paying his respects. It was going to be far more than just a social call to people that he cared for very much. But this became an opportunity to bring glory to God. Because when Peter entered onto the scene... He went to the place where the body of Tabitha lay and he went into the building where she was and he asked everybody to leave the room where she was occupying, her body was in. And it tells us that he knelt beside the body and he prayed and he commanded her to arise. And she came to life. He raised her from the dead. And one of the reasons that God honored this request we find in the, in the book of Acts, the ninth chapter in the 42nd verse, it says, and it was known throughout all of Joppa, and more importantly, and many believed in the Lord. So this wasn't just a random act. This was all part of God's grand design that we see unfolding here, where Peter comes onto the scene and does a miracle in the name of the Lord, and this person is raised to life, and the most important thing happened, there were believers as a result of it. But along with that, there were two other reasons. Peter relocating to Joppa to be there with Tabitha at that point, and into the house of Simon the Tanner where he resided after he had raised her from the dead, put him in a position to receive a hard message from God. And it put him in closer proximity to the man that I read about in the opening scripture by the name of Cornelius. Let's talk about Cornelius for just a minute. Cornelius Cornelius was a Roman soldier, and he was stationed in the coastal outpost of Caesarea. He was 
uh, placed in command in that Roman outpost of a hundred men. And it actually tells them, tells us here that they called that group the Italian band. So they were, must have been famous. They must have been well known, regarded in the region. People knew who he was and who they were because they were stationed there and they were called the Italian band. Interestingly, he's just not a Roman soldier, a centurion, an officer in their army, but he's a Jewish proselyte. Now, we don't really have any information about how we came to know the Lord. But what we do know, this, that it's likely that he was able to maintain his devotion and his love for God without compromising his military career because of the great distance that it was from Caesarea to Rome. If we were to fly from Rome to that, to that city today, it would take approximately six hours to fly there. Okay, so you can imagine in the ancient days, it's a long distance. And, you know, they didn't have cell phones. <laughs> they didn't have the Internet. They couldn't send an email back and forth. There was nobody that was reporting. He was way away from Rome and the politics there, serving as commanded, but devoted to God. And in chapter 10, verse 2, we learn that th- this about him. We learn first that he was devout. It tells us that he was totally committed to his religious convictions. He had become a believer in God and not just a casual believer. The word of God defines him as a devout man, that there was something uh, that was in his heart that was so solid and so real that he adhered to it and it became critically important, the very center of his existence. It tells us another thing about him, that he was generous. It tells us that he gave alms. That the, when people were in need in the community around, he was had the wealth and the uh, the, the ability to bless them apparently with goods or excuse me or money. So um, he was a generous man. So he was devout and he was generous. One more thing, and most important, it tells us that he was prayerful. It says he prayed to God always, directed to the true God. His prayers went up to the God of heaven. And the emphasis here is on prayer. It mentions that he's devout, generous, and prayerful, but it mentions prayerful at the end. And, you know, Scripture kind of has a pattern in it. We can notice that when things are mentioned in groups, typically it's an escalating um, of escalating in importance way of doing it. Uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, Now abideth what? Faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is... The last one, charity. So this is uh, what we can assume based on Scripture and the way it oftentimes is constructed and the account as it flows from there, that the fact that he was prayerful was incredibly important. And it tells us that while he was in prayer, he had a vision. An angel came to him with a message. And it was a very specific message with instructions. Essentially, it says, send for a man by the name of Simon Peter. He's located in the city of Joppa, which is about 35 miles away. That would be a long day's journey by foot. And he followed that direction without hesitation. Doesn't see, give us any indication whatsoever that he asked for any more details. He simply took the information that was given to them and he acted upon it immediately. But remember, he was a military man by vocation. So he was used to taking orders, and he just obeyed them. He heard it, 
and he acted upon it. And he did so even though he was well aware of the challenge that this presented, which takes us back to the narrative about Peter, because we get insight into how large a challenge this is for Cornelius to send for Peter to come to his city. Because the narrative continues on in verse 9 of the 10th chapter, and it tells us that the next day, after Peter had raised uh, uh, Tabitha from the dead, and he was lodging in the home of Simon the Tanner, which, by the way, was um, kind of... Peter was on a journey here of understanding things that he didn't really uh, grasp when he was as a devout Jew. Typically, a Jew would not stay at a home of somebody who was a tanner because tanners dealt with dead animals, and this would be something that Jews would not have anything to do with. So the Lord is kind of bringing Peter along, and he's staying here in Simon the Tanner's home. And about noontime, he went up to the rooftop to pray. And while he was praying, he began to feel hungry. And as he was feeling hungry, he tells us he fell into a trance. He had a vision. And the vision was of this large sheet coming down, and the sheet contained all manner of beasts that were unclean to Jewish people. And in Acts 10, 14 through 15, it tells us uh, something about the way that the Lord felt about this. But before we read that, it's worth noting that this was something that Peter could not do in good conscience. These unclean animals that he was commanded to kill and eat was something he couldn't do. Even though this message came to him three times, he bristled at it. Because, as I said, a Jew has strict dietary restrictions. You might know people with voluntary dietary restrictions. They may be among your friends, or maybe you are very strict in your diet as well. Uh, A few months ago, I went out to dinner with some people on a, a, it was a business dinner, and they said that they were hungry for pizza, and so they were our guests, so we took them to a pizza place. But they were, were, while they were hungry for pizza, they had a particular desire to have vegan pizza. Now, I'm not vegan. Just want to share that with you. I like all meat and lots of it. So um, anyway, they wanted vegan pizza. So we found a pizza place that had vegan pizza as well as other foods. But so, And we took them there, and they ordered off the menu and ordered a pizza in that was vegan, and they also ordered an appetizer. They ordered chicken drumsticks, vegan chicken. They don't spell chicken with, like we spell chicken, but it's kind of like chicken. And they plate of it came to them, and, and they offered me one. So would you like to taste it? Now, by the way, vegan chicken is made with jackfruit. And if you don't know what a jackfruit is, just don't worry about it too much. Look it up. It's, <laughs> it's some fruit that we don't normally eat. And if you do eat it, you are a vegan and you probably make chicken drummies out of it. So they take a piece of jackfruit, they stick a stick in it, and they make it look like a chicken drumstick. And they offered me one and I ate it. Um, and look, I'm an adventurous eater. I want to tell you, I, I, I like to try new things. I, I'm actually notorious for it. We go to restaurants and there's something on a menu that isn't 
what, um, you know, you would normally see on a menu. I'm interested in it. I want to try it. You know, why not? Uh, matter of fact, one time I was actually out to dinner, and I kind of started with this. I was out to dinner with somebody that was hosting, and he said, hey, I'm going to order escargot for um, an appetizer. If I order it, would you have one? And I said, no. <laughs> you know, escargot or snails, by the way, okay? And I said, no. No, I don't think so. He says, what? He says, are you going to go all your life without eating an escargot? I says, apparently. <laughs> I know, not really... Uh, not really interested in that, but you know, it kind of pressed me a little bit. And so, you know, I've tried to, like I say, try to be adventurous. So, sure. So, you ordered them up. I had one. By the way, they, it was really good. I mean, if you like mushrooms with butter, you can do an escargot just for the record. So, if somebody offers you one, don't maybe give it a try. Uh, oh, back to the drumsticks, chicken drumsticks. Do they taste like chicken? No, not even close. But dietary rules were very important to Peter. And he, even though he rejected this, it tells us in Acts 10, 14, Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, And God hath, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou uncommon. This was done thrice. And the vessel was received up again. Now, Peter was a perfect man for this assignment. God pressed him, and, you know, he's used to being chastised by the Lord. If you read about the history of Peter, the Lord's always getting after Peter. So he was used to being chastised, so it didn't really throw him. And he's also notoriously um, notorious for radically changing his mind. So he flipped. If the Lord says, pressed him and said to do it, Peter did it. And at that point, the three men from Cornelius arrived at Peter's place. Peter invites them in. And then they spend the night, and the next day they start their journey back to uh, where Cornelius was. And they, the next day, after they get there, after that long day's journey, they enter into um, Cornelius' house, and they were faced with an incredibly awkward moment. Cornelius falls down at Peter's feet and worships him. But Peter is gracious, instructing him to get up. And Cornelius, as a soldier, was obedient, and he did. And they moved inside where there were quite a few people gathering. And all of this narrative to say that this was a man, Cornelius, who saw the truth and beauty of worshiping the Lord God and did all that he knew in order to grow in grace, having experienced the power of redemption. And in that, the Lord took notice of him. It tells us, that his prayers went up as a memorial before God. This message is very instructive to us. When I read that verse about a couple weeks ago, I was just in my devotions, it just jumped off the page to me. That there's, the Lord takes note of those who live a selfless, devoted, and prayerful life. Our prayers go up as a memorial before God. That really encouraged me, I've got to tell you. And that prayers seem to have a substance to them, that somehow they're forming a memorial in heaven that comes to God's notice. You know, I wonder, what was Cornelius praying that built a memorial before God? 
What were the words that he spoke? What was his heart? What was he speaking? Well, my sense is that it isn't so unlike what we say and what we pray to the Lord. As a matter of fact, this morning, Nanoline sang a beautiful song and beautifully sang it, and the words by Laura's story were very insightful. It said, we pray for blessing. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray your mighty hand to ease our suffering. We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. And we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. And the song goes on to say that the answers may come in ways that we don't expect them to come. But nonetheless, the answers come. I'm just certain that when Cornelius was praying, his answer came in a way that he didn't expect for it to come. There was no way in the world that this devout man who loved the people and helped them and was prayerful to the Lord God expected that in his prayerful time, an angel would stand before him and tell him that his prayers touched the heart of God and that they came unto the Lord as if they were a memorial. But, you know, God is faithful. And he has a plan. And whether we totally understand the direction that he's going, we know that he's going in the right way, and he will fulfill his plan if we faithfully pray. <coughs> Excuse me. So like Cornelius, we pray. Like Cornelius, we are devoted. Like Cornelius, we do what we can to bless people. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and all supplication for the saints. We pray. We pray to God for the things that trouble us. We pray one for another. That's what we do. And when we do, it goes up before God as a memorial. No wonder that at times it's hard work to pray because our prayers are so valuable. No wonder it's difficult. They bring great results to the glory of God, but sometimes it's hard to do this. So, you know, there are times when it's easy to pray. We just came through the season when it was easier to pray. Camp meeting. We are all concentrating on the Lord. We're um, in church more than we typically are. Our minds are uh, heavenward. During special meetings, anytime situations like that where we are together and we are more focused, we can have a great spirit of prayer. <coughs> Excuse me. It's harder when we're distracted. It is. It's just harder. It's harder when we're burdened. It's harder when we're just weary. And we do. We're human. And we can, we can be weary. At times, it seems like when we pray, we've got a big shovel in our hand, and every dip of the spade, we're moving earth. Mountains are moving, and we're really praying, and we're making some progress. Other times, it feels like we're kneeling in the dirt in a hard pan with a little spade, and we're barely poking through the hard surface. But we still pray. Regardless of much, uh, how we feel, 
Whether it's easy to pray or whether it's hard to pray, we still pray. We mustn't give up because every prayer counts. Our prayers are building memorials before God. So never think that your prayers don't matter. They do matter. Every single utterance that you make unto the Lord, the Lord is aware of and is stored somehow up in heaven. In the book of Revelation, I believe it's in the fifth chapter, maybe the eighth verse, somewhere in there. I think it's right in that area. It talks about golden vials poured out that will be poured out. They're being stored. Something's going on up there that we're sending up to that place that is making a difference here down on earth. Glory to God. It's amazing. But that's what the Lord does. And we pray. And we're going to pray tonight. We're going to continue to pray because God answers prayer. Do you have something that's on your heart tonight? Something burdening you? Finding it difficult to pray? I've got just this advice. Not my idea. God's word. Pray. Give it to the Lord. Reach out to him. Know that he hears your prayer. He loves you. He's aware of you. You may not see an angel come down to assure you, but God's presence will be there. And you will know that He hears you. He will respond. If you have a need before Him tonight, and if you're not saved, here we're in this place tonight. If you don't know the Lord, we are a body of believers and our lives have been transformed by the power of God. We came to the Lord and prayed unto Him and asked Him to forgive us for His Son Jesus' sake. And he came into our lives and he radically changed us. You can have that same change yourself. And those of you that are saved, that are loving the Lord, keep praying. Whatever you need from him, the Lord will grant it even here tonight. We'll stand and sing song number 630. Come out and pray.